Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide, episode 327. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. We appreciate your loyalty. You first-time listeners, welcome aboard. We hope you become regular listeners. My name is Stephen Fennick, and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, the rumours have already started about next year's Samsung Galaxy S10. Alexa smart speakers will offer access to Apple Music and the countries that get the best and worst value from Netflix. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to put the new MacBook Air through its paces. We're also going to check out the PlayStation Classic Retro Console and the tiny tower laptop stand that can save your neck. And we'll wrap it up with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. A huge show for you, so let's jump straight in. Well, we're going to kick off the show with some rumours, some rumours that are filtering through. They've been pretty persistent, but I think this is probably the strongest and possibly the most accurate rumour about Samsung's upcoming Galaxy S10. Uh, there's a, a a person, Ben Geskin, who is, is has been known to unveil what turns out to be quite accurate information. I think uh, earlier this year he had a lot of info and, and pictures of the new iPhones, the iPhone 10s, and now he's come up with some more images. This time they're supposedly of the new Galaxy S10 Plus from Samsung. And the, the, the rumours for this device have been pretty solid for the last few months. We all know we're approaching the 10th version of the device, so it's a, it's a big occasion for Samsung. And the S10, so we're all anticipating something really special. And if, if these pictures are to be believed and they, they look accurate to me, we'll, we'll, time will tell whether they actually are accurate. Uh, if these do turn out to be accurate, then uh, I think it, we're in for a, a, a pretty good deal here because the, the specs and the look of the device, they look pretty cool. Uh, so let's start with what he's offered. And, and this was shared in a Twitter, in a tweet, by the way, on Twitter. Uh, and the this is purportedly the Galaxy S10 Plus and the images that he shared. 
is supposed to be for the S10 Plus. And his, he's also listed uh, some features that he believes will be included. Before we do that, though, I want to describe the phone. The phone has, it looks similar. So it's a similar Infinity display. Seems to have a much larger, or sh- I should say taller screen. He's listed it as a 6.44-inch Super AMOLED Quad HD Plus display. So to me, it looks slightly taller. So it might be like a 19 by 9, 19.5 by 9 uh, aspect ratio to it. So it's quite long and thin. And there's no notch. I've always said that Samsung would never go down the notch path, especially considering that it was Apple, its fierce rival, that introduced the notch in the first place. It's okay for these other brands to include it, including Google. We've seen it now on other devices, on LG phones, on Huawei phones. All these other devices that are now coming into the market have the notch. Samsung, I think, would, uh, I'm sure, actually, would never introduce a notch. But yet, in this instance, if these pictures are to be believed, they've come up with a way to include a camera without reducing the size of the screen. And it appears that in the top right corner of the display is a small area that comes through the display to house dual selfie cameras. So you can just imagine a a small oval-shaped gap in the screen, in the top right-hand corner of the screen, so within the parameters of the screen. So think of an oval on its side with a lens on either side, on either end of the oval, and they're they're supposedly dual selfie cameras. So there's no notch it's actually this area that I'm talking about is smaller than a notch, and I've shared these. Uh, you can look at, take a look at all these images in my story about this on Tech Guide, by the way. So don't feel that you only need to rely on my eloquent description here. You can always always go to Tech Guide and check it out for yourself. But so yeah, the the it does include the cameras, but without the notch. And I always speculated just recently. I said, why can't they have a camera that can look through a screen? Because another feature on the S10 or supposedly on the S10 is going to be an in-display fingerprint sensor, which we've already seen with the the Huawei Mate 20 Pro and the recently released R17 Pro from Oppo. So it's it's naturally we're going to see a lot more brands including this technology. So if you can read your fingerprint through a display... Why can't you take a photo through a display? That's what I, I'm, I keep speculating. I've got to admit, I have seen other mock-ups and w- supposed leaked images of the S10, which had a camera, a single camera, looking uh, coming through the screen, and, and the gap for the camera was like a pinhole. So hardly any... It looked like a dead pixel on the screen. This little black spot on the screen was actually the camera. Uh, that, to me, would make a bit more sense, but you can't do that if you want to have dual selfie cameras, which kind of what this is uh, this is describing here. This this looks like it's it's the dual selfie camera, which customers kind of want. They want to take those lovely uh, portrait shots with their selfies, so that blurred background and people in the foreground in focus. So that's hence the reason for having a dual selfie camera, unless they use software to do that. 
But overall, uh, design-wise, on on the front, apart from that little oval-shaped uh, opening for the cameras, looks pretty much like the the uh, S9. The other feature, which those two selfie cameras will no doubt provide, is face unlock. So it'll read your face just like every other device nowadays. The top-shelf devices give you face ID, as Apple calls it, face unlock on Android. And it will still, and I, I, I'm, I'm laughing the fact that this is included as one of the the breakout rumored features, a 3.5 mil audio jack. So uh, Samsung are hanging in there with the audio jack, which I think is good news. But the other thing uh, that Samsung revealed earlier this week, uh, late last week I should say, was more details about its upcoming foldable smartphone. You recall a few weeks ago I wrote on Tech Guide that they announced at this uh, developers conference in San Francisco an all-new form factor, the Infinity Flex display, which is basically a foldable screen. So uh, Samsung has since shared some more info, and what they envisage with their device, which they've confirmed will be released in 2019. It's obviously not going to be the S10. That's too soon. That's probably going to be released in February, March next year. This We're talking maybe second half towards the end of 2019 is a device that will take advantage of this Infinity Flex display technology. So the – and this, again, this is on Tech Guide as well, so you can check this out for yourself – the form factor would involve a device with a small front screen, and by small I mean 4.58 inches, uh, so about, let's call it 4.6 inches, and with that screen allows you to take calls, uh, messages, those on-the-spot instantaneous things you need to do. So with in, in its folded position, all you see is that smaller front screen. But then when you fold it open, it reveals this larger 7.3-inch screen, which allows you to do uh, to enjoy your content on a grander scale, whether it's a movie, whether you're looking at photos. It also allows you to multitask, so you can run up to three apps at the same time. So you may be watching in one window a YouTube video, another window looking at your messages, another one looking at emails, and all running at the same time. So uh, there, there is a feature they spoke about called App Continuity, which allows an app that's running on the front, on the cover display, they call it. If you open the device, that, that app is then transferred inside on the main display. So you can just imagine the form factor there. Uh, there's also images on TechGuide of, of examples of how the inside, the inside screen would look in, in its multi-window configuration. There's also a look at the shape of what the phone would look like with that smaller screen on the front. So you can imagine a foldable phone, no one's saying how thick it's going to be or how heavy it's going to be. But I'm thinking if it's an AMOLED screen that is folding, you don't need a lot of space for that. So you can imagine a phone that might be a centimetre thick to allow this, which that that would be remarkable. When you consider some phones are are as slim as 7.5 millimetres, if a folding phone, if you can get away with one, maybe 1.2 centimetres, which isn't that much bigger than our current phones, then I think that would be pretty good. Uh, I would look forward to checking this one out. I'm a, I'm a fan of big phones, big screens on a phone, 
and this kind of gives you both in one. So a smaller, more manageable screen for your more immediate needs, like your calls and messages. But then if you want to enjoy a larger screen, rather than looking at a different device, you simply unfold this thing and you've got a 7.3-inch display that allows you to do so much more. Really exciting things there. Uh, whether those rumours from uh, our friend Ben Geskin are correct about these leaked images, which you can check out on Tech Guide, and you can also check out on Tech Guide this amazing new form factor, this new Infinity Flex display that's going to influence the way f- smartphones are designed from next year onwards. I think that's a pretty good chance there. And don't forget, I think that other companies are probably going to jump on the bandwagon as well. So I don't think Samsung's going to be the lone ranger there with a foldable phone. I think there's going to be more than one brand offering similar technology. You want to read more about those stories? Feel free to head over to techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Now, here's a really interesting story for all of you, uh, all of you customers that have made a choice on your your smart speakers. Now, at the moment, you can buy a Google Home, Google Compatible, Google Assistant speaker, or an Alexa-powered speaker from Amazon, or you can buy a HomePod as well, which is kind of running third in terms of its versatility and its virtual assistant skill level, uh, yet nonetheless plays amazing audio quality. But with uh, yeah, at the moment, I think the fight is fair enough to say between Google Assistant speakers and Alexa speakers. It's kind of the, I think I've used this term before, this comparison. It's kind of the Ford v. Holden version of uh, the smart speaker market. Uh, Google, Google speakers have always enjoyed, of course, the support of Google and all that goes with it, whether it's uh, Google Play Music, if you've got a, a Google Home Hub with a screen or another compatible screened smart, smart speaker. You can also access instantly YouTube because that is another Google property, so uh, really easy to do that. On the Alexa side, you've uh, you've got no doubt uh, the probably the most skills for your device. In other words, the a skill for a smart speaker is what I describe as like an app for a smartphone. So it's all these things you can do, ask it things. There's companies that have set up their own skills, so you can check bank accounts and book flights and all those sorts of things. So those skills are growing. The other offer, of course, music plays a massive part. In the speaker's usage, a high percentage of, use, of, of time spent on the speaker is listening to music. And Alexa, until now, has also relied on the fact that, or the hope, that people are paying for an Amazon music subscription as well. Well, some news has just broken about this, and Alexa and that's Amazon, its parent company, has just announced that all Alexa speakers from December 17 will be able to access Apple Music. So if you're an Apple Music subscriber, and there are millions around that are, you will now be able to listen to your music through an Amazon Amazon Alexa-powered speaker. So it really does open up the playing field a little bit and tips tips a lot of customer preferences now, I think, towards Alexa, because uh, Apple Music was kind of caught, unless you bought a HomePod, of course, if you're looking at these other smart speakers, if you're an Apple Music customer, you were kind of caught in no man's land because you can't play it on the, on the Google speakers, and up until now, you couldn't play it on Alexa either. So it was either HomePod, which, which has 
beautiful access to Apple Music and, and all, all of that, uh, and great audio quality, of course, but a lot less in the skills department and sheer versatility department. Yeah, you can do things around your house and stuff, but uh, it just seems to me that every second smart product is either Google Assistant enabled or Alexa enabled. There's a lot less speed, a lot less smart home products that are HomeKit compatible. Still a few, but far less than the ones being created to work either with Google Assistant or Alexa or both. So that's that's a significant thing as well. So if you are an Apple Music customer and you may already own a speaker, whether a Google Assistant speaker. If you own an Alexa speaker, then good news for you, from December 17, you'll be able to listen to Apple Music through that very speaker. All you need to do on December 17, when the when it does, uh, there'll be an update, you go to your Alexa app and just simply add Apple Music as one of your services that you want to access, just like you can already with Spotify, I think on both, on Alexa and on Google Assistant speakers. So great uh, great news for Apple Music customers. I think uh, that's going to really tip. Uh, I think it's going to move the needle a bit towards the Alexa camp this Christmas. Timely announcement: a week before Christmas, they're going to an- a- allow Apple Music to be played through Alexa-powered speakers. So uh, we'll see how that plays out in the our Christmas shopping. We'll probably no, not have that uh, those details till early in the new year. But an interesting development. And good news if you're an Apple Music subscriber. If you want to read more about that story, check it out at techguide.com.au. Now, we all love Netflix, Netflix and chill. I still having, I still question that phrase uh, about its actual meaning. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking it's quite an innocent phrase where you're just going to hang out with someone and watch Netflix together. I have, and I'll try to keep this as clean as possible, I have heard other theories about that phrase. It's more about going around and not watching so much Netflix, but more on the chilling side uh, and doing other things. But that's an argument for another day. But Netflix, though, is a very popular service nonetheless in 78 countries, would you believe? 78 countries around the world offers Netflix, including here in Australia. And there was a very interesting study that was done, and we've run it on Tech Guide, a, a, a website called Comparitech actually contacted us and offered us this uh, information that we kindly used and also linked back to their site. They actually analysed every country that has Netflix to work out who gets the best or worst value, so who pays the most and the least for Netflix around the world. So this is how they calculated the site, Comparitech. A lot of work here. They went to every single country's Netflix site and painstakingly counted every TV show and movie available in that respective country. So they added that number together, so the number of TV shows and movies, added them together and came up with a number. So what they did with that figure is then put that into the equation with the monthly subscription price for each country to work out a cost per title per month. Now, working out the price, what they did is they weighed up all the currency exchange rates, all the current exchange rates, and worked out like a median price. So they're all kind of playing off comparable in terms of their exchange rates. So they took the number, the, the cost per title per month, uh, based on the amount of money that people spend or the, the, that are charged in each country and put that equation together to come up with the library size v average cost per title. 
and 78 countries went in the mix. And would you believe number one country? No, it was not the U.S. Canada came out on top. So Canadians, good job. Actually, while I'm talking about Canadians, I love telling my Canada joke about how Canada got its name. Quick little sidebar here. How did how did Canada get its name? I'll tell you how. And you Canadians, I hope you haven't heard this joke before. They put all the letters in the alphabet into a bag and decided to draw out a letter a letter at a time to determine what name the country would be. All the letters went in and then they started. They said C A N A D A and came up with Canada. Now, while I'm cutting through all the laughter, let's get back to the story at hand here. Canada has the best value for Netflix. So they weighed up the fact, their size of their library and the cost per month, and they came out on top. Best value goes to Canada. Now, in comparison, the U.S. actually has the largest library. But when you look at how much they pay, that cost per title is actually higher than Canada. So Canada, full marks, they were number one. US, I think, finished seventh on the list. Australia finished eighth. In eighth place, Australia, which is uh, one ahead of the United Kingdom, which came in at ninth. So from one to ten, you've got Canada, Colombia, India, Mexico at number four, Brazil number five, Japan six, US seven, Australia at eight, United Kingdom in ninth place, and Pakistan rounding out the top ten. So Canada, yes, did well. Now who where which country is the most expensive? That unfortunate title went to Denmark, which has nearly half the library size of Canada but pays 100% more per title. How did the Danes get such a dud deal? Now, compared to the the Canadian Netflix customers, uh, 100% more than Canadian Netflix customers and 90% more than the US and the UK. Wow. Now, what about the cheapest place on earth to watch Netflix? That goes to Brazil at a cost of $5.24. That's US dollars per month. That's pretty cheap. That's 40% cheaper than the US and the UK. On a cost per month basis, the US and UK ranked 23rd and 18th cheapest, respectively. Australia still did pretty good, I think, coming in eighth in terms of value. But uh, the, a, lot, a lot of people wonder why do these smaller countries have much cheaper Netflix? Well, a couple of reasons. They're smaller for a start. But what Netflix tends to do is to the larger markets like US, UK, India, you know, all these countries that have it, Australia, their prices are slightly higher. They know they've got a bigger user base, so they're making a lot more money. So that what they do is use that revenue to develop in these other countries. They subsidize the growth in these other parts of the world. Smart strategy. But if you're living in Canada, good luck to you. You've got great value. Uh, if you're living in Denmark, apologies, you're, you're getting dudded there. But uh, there, there's some and even better news. If you're living in Brazil, you're getting a pretty good deal there as well. Those, there are lots of figures to digest there. I hope you enjoyed my Canada joke. I hope nobody turned off because of that. I love telling that to Canadian people. And most of them uh, politely tell me that they've never heard that before, which I'm hoping is true. If you want to read more about the countries that pay the most and the least for Netflix, check that story out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. 
The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, you probably have antivirus on your computers and tablets. If you don't, you're crazy. But did you know that your router could be letting hackers into your home? The router is the heart of the connected home, but can also provide an entry point for hackers to attack anything connected to your network, to infect your devices, steal your information, and even spy on your home. And unfortunately, just password protecting your router won't block these threats. Introducing Norton Core, a smart and more secure Wi-Fi router that delivers speed and security all in one. Norton Core delivers next-gen Wi-Fi speeds to every corner of your home while helping to protect all of your connected devices, things like computers, phones, smart TVs, baby monitors, gaming consoles, smart speakers, and so much more. Protects all of them from digital threats by helping to block them at the network level. With built-in parental controls, Norton Core also lets you set screen time limits by device or user. You can set content filters and even pause the internet across your home, all from an easy-to-use smartphone app. Norton Core, the smart, more secure Wi-Fi router, is available now at your local Harvey Norman store. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennig. Our Tech Guide reviews this week, we're going to kick off with the MacBook Air. Now, this has been around 10 years, can you believe? The first MacBook Air was unveiled at Macworld in 2008. And how do I know that? I was in the audience. That was the reveal where then Apple CEO Steve Jobs pulled out the world, the very first MacBook Air, our first view of the MacBook Air, he pulled it out of an envelope. Quite a dramatic thing. For, for the time, this was a, a huge shift in laptops because at the time we were we had heavier, bulkier, fatter laptops. Here was this device that was appropriately named the MacBook Air because it was thinner than air, and that then set the tone for the next decade for other companies to follow in Apple's footsteps to create these what we now have on the market, these super light, super thin laptops. One of the first laptops to also get rid of a DVD drive. You remember at the time there was CD slash DVD readers, writers on board, well, the MacBook Air was one of the first to say sayonara to the to the the drive, and just have USB ports and a headphone jack. So uh, very courageous for the time, and and I'm pleased to say that Apple has updated this very popular product in their lineup. Apple calls this their most loved Mac. That's how popular MacBook Air has been, and I'm, again, happy to say that they've finally updated it significantly. There have been some speed bumps over the years. It's taken 10 years, though, for the MacBook Air to inherit a retina display. That's probably the biggest change. There's 4 million pixels now, 48% more color. So you're seeing a retina display, which is now on every Mac laptop, including the MacBook Pro, the MacBook which is still uh, the thinnest laptop in the Apple lineup. That is actually thinner than the MacBook Air. The MacBook Air still retained its lovely wedge shape, which has, which uh, at the time uh, gave the MacBook Air the opportunity to be uh, the one of the thinnest. 
then technology has moved so far that the MacBook, which is sort of has more a flatter profile, is now actually even thinner than the MacBook Air. The MacBook Air has a 13.3-inch screen. The MacBook has a 12-inch screen. But the MacBook from the get-go, when it was released, I think, three years ago, always had a, a retina display, but it was a 12-inch retina display. And it was one of the first Macs, uh, MacBooks to have a USB-C port, which Apple also calls the Thunderbolt 3 port. So uh, the MacBook has has also been given the Thunderbolt 3 port, so uh, two ports, which uh, allows it to connect, to, to share data, to be charged, uh, to connect a display, uh, things like that. So uh, big tick there. Design-wise, looks the same, but is actually uh, smaller and lighter. So it still looks the same, but if you compare it to a... The previous generation is actually 20% smaller, 25% smaller than the previous generation, which is, that's pretty big when you consider it. This is, uh, uh, it's, it's pretty small to begin with, but that, that, that less volume now they're offering, uh, that's pretty cool. It is 15.6 millimeters at its thickest point. So, uh, impressive. That's, that's 10% thinner. Uh, and it's 17% less volume, not 20%. 17% less volume than the previous MacBook Air. Very impressive. But what else is new? Uh, there are some other cool features. Uh, Performance-wise, you're getting uh, the latest Intel Core 8th generation i5 processor. Pretty cool there. You can have up to 16 gig of RAM this time. There's an SSD, there's solid-state drive on board, which you can configure up to 1.5 terabytes which is a lot of storage. The other improvement, too, is Touch ID. This is a, a, a feature inherited from the MacBook Pro. So the MacBook Pro, which had the touch bar that runs along the top, you don't get that with a MacBook Air, but the Touch ID, which is a cool way to unlock your Mac. Uh, you can pay for stuff online, access secured documents and notes on board, so all with the power of your fingerprint. Takes seconds to set up. It's really handy. Uh, the other thing that adds to the security of the product is the Apple T2 security chip. Now, this is the chip that uh, gives it, it provides that secure enclave for your Touch ID information. So your fingerprint info never leaves your MacBook. It stays in this secure enclave, like it does on your iPhone. Uh, and, and also ensures that you have a secure boot up as well. So no one, uh, it, it does ensure no one's tampered with your system before the boot up process. So just adds another layer of security. Also powers the, the Siri functionality too. So you can uh, now ask it questions and open apps, find documents, play music, just like you would on your phone by saying, hey, you know what? Now, so that's, that's Siri's playing in the background. Siri, stop it. Oh. There I go. I have to keep it quiet. I didn't even say, hey, Siri. So there you go. I'll have to turn. Here's a tip for everybody. Every time I say, hey, you know what? If you turn your iPhone screen down on your desk, it won't answer. That's what I've, what I failed to do on the podcast tonight. But anyway, the show must go on. Uh, the other features that you'll see here, uh, the retina display, I think massive tick there. It's got the new generation keyboard too. The, the, the more, it's got the new scissor mechanism, which gives you, it's a little bit quieter as well and a bit more responsive, but also I'll describe this as like less wobble in the key. So it's a bit more secure, a bit stiffer, uh, which uh, for typing means less travel in the key, but a bit more accuracy. Sound-wise, too, you're getting a better deal here. Stereo speakers, so twice the bass and 25% more volume. Another big tick there. 
uh, performance we've, to- we've spoken about, but uh, in terms of this handling processor-heavy applications, uh, switching, multitasking, uh, it's got your back. I think if if you are if your if your main workflow involves heavy video editing, photo editing, and that really heavy duty uh, workload, constant workload like that. I'd say the MacBook Pro is probably more your machine. If if it's occasional work like that, then you get away with the MacBook MacBook Air, just to uh, keep your expectations real here. Uh, it can handle all those things, but obviously can't handle uh, the things that a MacBook Pro can handle. But obviously that's why there's these these tiers in their lineup. But still, though, pretty capable laptop and a good looking one to boot. Uh, that you, you you're gonna get. Uh, 12 hours of battery life as well. We, we use it as our daily driver, and it is running all day and well into the afternoon and still going uh, when it's time to clock off. So uh, that, that's pretty good performance, especially for those on the go that really need, they rely on this battery performance to keep them working throughout the day in situations where they can't connect to power, whether it's on a on a flight or just on the move. It's very hard to stop and charge up a computer for two hours when you need to be moving 12-hour battery life can help you do that. Another big tick for the MacBook Air. Price-wise, that you're looking at, I think, $1,829 starting price. Uh, all the details are on Tech Guide, but overall, big tick for this new update. Uh, about time that we had a Retina display. It's got a smaller bezel, too. It's a black bezel that matches the look of the other MacBooks in the lineup as well. That's another big change. But the MacBook Air, well, I think, will continue to be a favorite among customers, uh, especially with this update. You want to read our complete review? You can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech- This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Next up, we're talking about the PlayStation Classic. And there's been a lot of these little retro reboots here, a lot of uh, miniature. We've seen Atari and Sega and Commodore 64. Now we've got the PlayStation Classic. And I've got to say, this is probably one of my favourite of these retro updates, these releases. And this this harks back to the PlayStation 1. The very first PlayStation was introduced back in 1994. Any of you old enough to remember that? If you are, then the PlayStation Classic is well worth you checking out. Uh, This is a solid walk down gaming memory lane. The nostalgia factor alone is worth it just to get this device. And what's even nicer or cuter, I should say, is that it is a 45% replica of the original, which is cute as all get out. This is a really cute little device. Fits in the palm of your hand and looks exactly like that original console and has the same button configuration, the same shape. The the top doesn't open, of course, because there's no discs to put in it. But it does come with 20 games built in. 20 games on board, and these are the classics from 94. We're talking, uh, you know, the, including Grand Theft Auto, Final Fantasy VII, Destruction Derby, Jumping Flash, Metal Gear Solid, one of my faves, uh, Resident Evil Director's Cut, another favorite, Rayman, Tekken 3, Twisted Metal. It's a really interesting uh, selection of games. They're more popular for the time. And they're presented in that traditional 4 by 3 Like, remember back in 94, we had square TVs, those big fat tube TVs, and it's in that same square shape. So don't expect this thing to be fully 
fully filling your wide widescreen television. It's still got the very blocky look. The all the what, what at the time we thought, wow, what great graphics! It's still got that look uh, and sound as well. Uh, but I think that just helps you appreciate it even more. Like, I, I think that yeah, you know, they're not they're nowhere near the cutting edge level of games we have today. But for the time, we thought, wow, what more could we want? And the, it's, the PlayStation Classic has retained that. Even when I turned it on, saw that white screen with the PlayStation logo in the middle, all the sounds it made, I'm thinking, wow, I'm in the time machine. I've gone back 26 years, 24 years, however long it is, back to 1994. But for those of you listening who remember that in 94, the uh, PlayStation Classic may hold a very special place in your heart. You do get a HDMI cable with it to connect to your TV and two, count them, two wired controllers. So you, like the old days, you're going to have to sit pretty close to the telly to be able to, uh, to uh, for the controllers to reach. But uh, it also has a USB controller, uh, USB power, so you got you get a micro USB cable. You do have to BYO the USB plug that goes in the wall, but I think if you use your smartphone or tablet charger, that will work. So you connect the USB cable to that, connect it to the back of the PlayStation Classic, and Bob's your uncle. You'll be playing these games from '94, the PlayStation Classic. It's available now. It's priced at $149.99, and I think would make a wonderful Christmas gift. Uh, it's, it's one of our favourite products that's come across our desk in the last uh, few weeks, I have to say. The PlayStation Classic, a real walk down memory lane, and I highly recommend it if you're of my age and remember 94 Gaming then the PlayStation Classic is well worth considering. You want to see that for yourself and see how small it is in my hand? Very cute. You can check that out at techguide.com.au. Rightio, next up, we've got a product called Tiny Tower. Now, this is a laptop stand, and but it's a laptop stand, laptop stand with a difference. What this does, for a start, it folds down really small. You look at this thing and you think, how the hell is this a laptop stand? It folds down to just slightly larger than like a DVD Blu-ray case. Slightly larger than that. comes in its own little pouch. But when you unfold it, you can. it's got 17 different height adjustments. So it can sit between 11-inch or a 15-inch tablet at a comfortable height for you to be able to type. So the problem with a laptop is that we're looking down at it on a desk. So if you if you've got it on the desk in front of you, you you're bending your neck to look down. That's actually putting pressure on your neck. There's like up to sixty pounds of pressure on your neck, according to some studies. That's a, a in the U.S. Medical Journal Surgical Technology International said that sixty pounds of pressure. I don't know what that is in kilos, but it's not the best if you're doing it all the time. Not good for your neck. So a great solution is the tiny tower. So it unfolds into this into this great stand, and the good news is it folds down again in seconds to this tiny little thing that you can carry around. You can actually put it in your in your bag and take it with you. You can also buy a separate pouch that will fit your wireless keyboard and mouse. So you've got this instant computer set up no matter where you go. So you rest the, the laptop on top of the stand, the tiny tower stand, and you can then be typing with the screen of the laptop at eye level. And it's adjustable. It also has uh, arms on top to hold the laptop in place. 
comes in four colours, and these, funny enough, match up the MacBook colours. So you were talking, or nearly match up, gold, rose gold, space grey and silver. It's 119 bucks. can be purchased from tinytowerstand.com.au. I've got a link on the story on Tech Guide. But I think this is a, if you're, if you're a person who uses their laptop a lot, uses their laptop on the move, and wants to stay, uh, have have good back and neck health in uh, as you move forward in life, then definitely something worth considering. And as I said, folds up, folds down really quickly uh, and can adjust to 17 different height levels to suit every user and how they want to work. Definitely worth considering. 119 bucks. I think it's an investment in your next health, to be honest. And uh, I've been using it, and I, I really like it. And I think you will too. If you want to read my story about it, Tiny Tower, you can head over to techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. That's the company behind Orbi, the award-winning system that makes your Wi-Fi faster and takes your Wi-Fi further. Orbi Wi-Fi systems are designed for any size home, large or small, from apartments and lofts to single-family homes and sprawling estates. No more dead zones, no black spots, just better Wi-Fi everywhere. And for those times when you need a little more, Orbi add-on satellites gives you additional coverage inside and out, perfect for backyards, garages, or even the granny flat. In today's modern household, Orbi's tri-band Wi-Fi system lets you stream your favourite movies in 4K and play online games by providing ultra-fast Wi-Fi no matter how many devices are connected. Orbi plugs into your existing modem and is really easy to set up with just a couple of clicks. And not only does it work great, it looks great too and blends into your home's decor. Orbi's the easiest, fastest, most expansive and advanced mesh Wi-Fi network available today. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. Tech Guide. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Our tech guide help desk. We've got a few things to answer. Our first, our first uh, he- he- question on the help desk, though, is provided uh, with our voice bite. So uh, here we go. Here's Peter. G'day, Stephen. I just changed over from an Apple iPhone to Samsung S9 Plus. Can I still use my Apple Watch? Thank you. Great question, Peter. Thank you for the voice bot. And just for those of you interested in sharing a voice bot, you can go to my site, look at the blue icon and the record button. You can, you too can record your question that I will play on the Tech Guide podcast. But back to Peter's question, a very interesting one. Uh, unfortunately, Peter, you purchasing a Samsung phone uh, will no longer your iPhone will no longer connect to it. Uh, iPhones only, uh, Apple Watches only connect to iPhones. So if you've gone from set to a Samsung phone, then unfortunately your Apple Watch is a standalone device. So you won't be able to have your notifications. You won't be able to use apps on the move. You probably won't be able to, if you've got the cellular version, you won't be able to use that either. So if you have moved to Samsung, my suggestion would be to maybe to get a Galaxy Watch which will give you all the features of an Apple Watch, including that eSIM capability, uh, and maybe put your put your Apple Watch on eBay. Uh, may get your money back. That might give you enough money to pop, to buy your Galaxy Watch. 
But thank you for the voice bite. And again, we encourage you to click on the blue icons on Tech Guide, hit that record button, fill in some details if you're not already joined into voice bite, and you can share your voice with me, ask me the questions, and I will answer them on the podcast. Meanwhile, I had a couple of other questions. One was about KO Sports. Remember the, the streaming service we spoke about last week? Probably the most common question I had from uh, you dear listeners and readers was the uh, the question about whether you could watch English Premier League on KO Sports. The, the uh, answer to that question is unfortunately no. That uh, the rights to to the English Premier League is owned by Optus, so you need to be an Optus Sport customer to watch the EPL. If you got any kind of Optus service, I think you get a cheap you get a cheaper uh, subscription to that. Even if you're not an Optus customer, I think you can buy a, a monthly su- subscription for fifteen dollars a month. So unfortunately, Ko Sports. If if your reason you want to switch to Ko Sports is for the EPL, the English Premier League, unfortunately, uh, you won't be able to watch it on Ko Sports. So maybe stay where you are. Another question I had was from a reader who was interested in getting their son a new iPhone and were concerned that they could not afford a new iPhone. The iPhone 7 and 8 are more pretty expensive compared to other devices on the market. But I have discovered that Officeworks still offers an iPhone 6. They've got an iPhone 6, 32 gigabytes of memory unlocked for $397, which is a hell of a good deal if you ask me. So if you still want to buy your child an iPhone and don't want to spend the big bucks, the iPhone 6, which is still a terrific phone, this has got uh, the, the latest features on it. It's got a good camera. Uh, it's got the brand-new battery as well. So being a brand-new product, of course, has a brand-new battery, but uh, will last for quite a while. So 397 definitely worth checking out. Officeworks, uh, iPhone 6, 32 gigabytes unlocked. We've, uh, we've written about all these things we've spoken about on the help desk. And again, if you do have a question, feel free to send us a voice bite. So record your question and I will answer it on next week's podcast. And that is the end of our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. You can read about everything that we've spoken about, of course, at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, either send us a voice bite through the Tech Guide site or send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and your devices safe online. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.